0: Triple Content Creations presents Disability After Dark, the premier podcast shining light on sex and disability, with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark, with Andrew Gerza. Shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. Thanks for coming back to a brand new episode of Disability After Dark. I'm so happy you're here, and I'm so happy you want to have a conversation around sex and disability with me. So let's dive right in. I'm going to be super honest and super transparent about this episode. It's not going to be an easy one for me to record. It's going to be one that I've thought about a lot, about wanting to do for months actually, and not really knowing how to start that conversation, not really knowing where to begin, not really knowing even if I wanted to share some of the things that I'm going to share on this episode. But I think given all the things that are happening in the world right now, especially around consent and sexual assault and sexual harassment, this episode was extremely important for me to record and I wanted to bring some experiences forward of myself as a person with a disability dealing with consent and I wanted to share all these things and even as I've done the notes for this episode, they're not complete. So I'm going to do pieces of it and then I'm going to come back and do other pieces of it. It's not going to be one that I record in, a, in one fell swoop, it's going to be one that I'm taking time to really think about. So by the time you hear this, I will have probably stopped and started a bunch of times in order to do this properly. This is such an important issue that we don't talk enough about, period, full stop. But we especially don't talk about it enough when it comes to marginalized communities. And the community that I am from, obviously, as a queer, disabled man, we don't ever talk about abuse, assault, sexual consent concerns when you are queer and disabled. That's something that we, our community, has not yet been given the chance to voice. Not just queer disabled people. Disabled people generally being sexually assaulted is something that we all know is happening and yet we never hear about it. So I wanted to bring, I was initially going to do this episode as a panel discussion. I'm still in the process of getting the panel together. There will probably be an episode 60.1 at some point, because we are in episode 60 now. I can't even believe it. Holy wow. Well. Um, it'll probably be an episode 60.1 where I bring a panel of individuals together to share their experiences around consent, as long as everybody that I work with feels safe and supported. But for today, I wanted to bring my stories forward and some of the things that have happened to me forward. I just want to reiterate again that I see all these hashtags being created, all this social media buzz around what's happening, which I think is very important and extremely necessary. But I will say the, the absence of disabled people feeling safe to voice their opinions in these hashtags and not really seeing any of that from disabled people doesn't, doesn't, know, doesn't mean that it's not happening. It just means that we don't have a space where we feel safe to discuss these things. Discuss issues like consent. Discuss issues like rape and sexual assault and sexual harassment. And that's a big fucking problem for me that we don't have, that disabled people don't feel comfortable enough to voice these things. Um, And it just really bothers me that so many marginalized groups are being left out of this discussion. And so as a disabled person. Now, I also recognize my privilege. I recognize that I'm a white, cisgender, disabled man speaking about this. So I don't want to take anything away from anybody else who's experienced different things. I simply want to talk about consent, sexual assault, sexual violence against disabled people, and and sexual harassment as well. And some of the things that I have experienced, which I didn't even realize at the time, were... Sexual harassment or sexual assault—that's how—that's how insidious this can sometimes be. That's how much I talk a lot about on this on this program of sexual ableism. That's that's a byproduct of sexual ableism is the fact that I didn't even realize what was happening to me was a problem because I wanted the able-bodied person to like me or to fuck me or to be with me or to spend time with me. So the things that were happening to me, I didn't see them as what they really were. And as a disabled person, that the way that we can think about consent sometimes, or not think about consent sometimes, is really troubling. Sexual harassment happens to disabled people and people with disabilities almost every single day. And let me give you some examples. We're told by people on the street that, oh, we're too attractive to be in wheelchairs. We're told by people how much people would like to get with someone like us or be with someone like us because, and I quote, they would have sex with us because we can't run away. I can't count the number of times that this has happened to me and somebody has said this to me and I've simply laughed it off. I've giggled with them. I've played the joke. Like, oh yeah, that's true. I, t- I can't run away. Ha <laughs> ha, that's funny. The fact that you would suggest that I am a captive person in, in, the, in our sexual game not even a game, in our sex that you have turned into this weird thing means that you're gross. It means that you are a predator. It means that I should never be joking with you and being complicit in this kind of discussion around sexual assault. But that is an effect of sexual ableism. That's an effect right there that I would laugh along with the person who's basically saying that, oh, you can't run away, so, haha, that's like, that's happened to me a number of times, with a number of attractive suitors, people that I was literally in bed with as they said this, and I'd be like, what the, that's not funny. But I would be laughing along with them thinking, oh, it is funny because the able-bodied person said so, so I should laugh along. And I didn't even realize how scary it was until I started thinking about how many times it's happened to me and how many times I didn't think anything of it until I started thinking about it for this for this. Podcast, I was like, wow, there's a lot of things that happen. There's a lot of times that particularly happened to me that I was like, this is not okay. This is not all right. I also believe that when we as disabled people consider consent, it doesn't look the same for us as disabled people as it would for a non disabled person. It just doesn't look the same. It doesn't look the same when it comes to sexuality, sex. The act of sex or touch it itself, in my humble opinion, sex or simply intimate touch, as we've talked about. If you go back to, I think, I want to say it's episode. I I think it's in like episode twenty or twenty-one or something where we do, where I do a whole episode on touch and how important touch is. We talk about intimate touch, and we talk about that sexuality and intimate touch is something that that could only happen every 3 6 12 months or maybe longer. So when it does happen for us as disabled people and for me especially, th- these are feelings that I identify with quite strongly. When it does happen, I am often I'm often in a daze with the mentality of I guess I have to take what comes no matter what because I might never I might I might not have sex again for a while. There's a knowledge that this thing you're getting is like a treat it's a thing you're getting that's like this, this, this sacred thing that you have to engage in in whatever form it comes in because you don't have a chance to do otherwise. And that's, that's what really, for me a lot of the time, that's what consent looks like. And I understand the theoretical confines of consent as in yes and no. And, and if I say no, that means no. And if I say yes, that means yes. That's a theoretical construct in real life. Consent is so much more complicated than that, and especially when you're disabled and dealing with your own internalized ableism and sexual ableism and all these different things swirling around while also wanting to just get your rocks off, consent can look like a whole different beast altogether. I also believe that while saying no and the the act of saying no and refusing advances when you don't want them is something that we all should have access to, whether we're disabled or non-disabled, Remember that if you are extremely disabled and you are a wheelchair user and you can't access things for yourself, and you are, especially if you are sleeping with an able-bodied partner or engaging in sexual conduct with an able-bodied partner, um, saying no doesn't really do much if you have no ability, literally, to get out of that situation. There's a lot more to come on this episode of Disability After Dark, but 1st We're going to play some ads from our awesome sponsor and some great listeners. So we'll do that and we'll be right back on Disability After Dark, the podcast shining light on sex and disability with your host, Andrew Gerza. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by the worker owners of Come As You Are. Come As You Are has the peculiar distinction of being the world's only worker-owned cooperative sex shop. With feminist and anti-capitalist values, Come As You Are only carries sexuality products that they truly believe in at the lowest price possible. Get free shipping at www.comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hi, my name is Laura Bain, partially blind and partially cool in Halifax, and I listen to Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners. Just want to let you know that we've had the podcast out for over a year now, and I've been kind of laxadaisical in putting together a Facebook page. I typically post all the stuff on my personal Facebook page, and that was getting both annoying for people and annoying for me to do. So I've created a proper Facebook page for the podcast, where I'll post mostly about what we're doing and what the episodes are going to be about and Thoughts I have for episodes and questions for episodes. And I really want all of you to to head on over there. So I just, it's just brand new. Just created. It's facebook.com slash disabilityafterdark. Really simple. Head on over there. Like the page. Leave your comments, suggestions, your reviews, your constructive feedback. Um, It's an open page right now. I'm going to make sure that people are nice and respectful and polite on the page. I'm going to also moderate it myself for a while, and if anybody wants to help with that, let me know. But, there's a brand spanking new Facebook page for the podcast. Once again, facebook.com slash disabilityafterdark. Thanks so much. I want to say thank you to our sponsors for being awesome sponsors, the Come As You Are Cooperative who are really amazing and do a lot of work around sexuality and disability. They're a sponsor, great. Um, I want to say thank you to anybody who created a podcast bumper where they said, hi, my name is so-and-so and I listen to Disability After Dark, you can record that on your phone or wherever you record your voice doing awesome things. So if you want to do one, let me know. Send me an email at Andrew at Shoot me a tweet, let me know, and I'll be happy to send you the copy of what to say and we'll get it on, one, on an upcoming episode. Thank you. I also, because I haven't done it in a while and I really should, I want to thank anybody who has pledged their money to my Patreon page. I really, really appreciate it. You know who you are. I have some great Patreon pledgers. I want to give you more. I want to be able to provide you with more stuff and more perks and things. So let me know what would make perks really good for you via Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Um Let me know what kind of stuff I can offer for you. Like, with, Do you want merchandise? Do you want buttons? Do you want um, guest spots on the on the show? Do you want to help build an episode? What can I do to make it valuable for you to help support this podcast? So please let me know. But let's get back to why you're here in the first place, this great show. So this has been a hard episode. Like I said at the beginning, this has been a tough episode for me to record. Without a doubt, it's been one of the toughest and realest episodes I've ever, had, I've ever decided to embark on. And like I said, my notes for this episode aren't even really done. I'm just kind of now talking and and feeling things out as I record this one. Um, So we talked about kind of how, before the break, how even though when you say no, when you say no to something and you don't consent, if you are really disabled and you need help and you don't consent, the person, if you you are spending time with an able-bodied person, or perhaps a disabled person with more ability than you, if you're spending time with them and they can overpower you, saying no doesn't really help very much, does it? If you can't get out of the bed and run away, literally can't get out of bed and have no access or ability to run away or to protect yourself, what is it that you do? So, I want to talk about an interview that I gave a couple years ago for a magazine. Or I think it was a magazine or it might have been for a radio I can't remember, I think, I think it was for a magazine, it was for print. And it was when I was just, just starting out talking about my experiences being queer and disabled. I was asked by the interviewer whether or not I'd, felt, I'd ever felt unsafe because I'm disabled during sex. And I remember exactly how I answered this question. I was so, I very flippantly and in error said to this, and I quote, Well, I've never really felt unsafe. I've been really lucky in that regard. My goodness, what an arrogant answer that was for me. And reading it now back to you, reading it to record for this part right now, it reeks of privilege, just reeks of privilege, and it's so gross. Ugh, it's gross. Also, it was categorically untrue. There have been many times I felt uneasy and unsafe, but I haven't and didn't say anything because I didn't want to be the disabled guy who made a fuss or had problems with things. This is a thing that still happens to me sometimes. I still feel sometimes that I don't want to don't want to say don't want to speak up because again, the mentality of you got to take what you can get is very prevalent and I don't want to rock the boat because I'm finally getting laid, so I just have to shut up and take it. That's not that's not a good way to think about it, but these are some of the thoughts that enter my head during during sex sometimes, even if they're things I don't like. Now I'm much better now at saying what I don't like, but there are moments where you'll tacitly consent to something because you don't want the sex to end because, because of ableism, really, and you're worried about ableism the whole time. Remember how I said uh, last week that, or some weeks ago now, two weeks ago, that ableism... Is the the third or fourth bedfellow, it's still true. It's it's always with you in bed, always with you. For sure. Okay, so here's the part that I've had trouble with kind of figuring out how I'm gonna talk about it on the podcast. And these are the this is the part that I'm that I am both proud to share with you, but also I feel uncomfortable sharing. But I think it's important that I discuss it, so here it is. The other day, my friend Noah Michelson, who's the executive editor of Huffington Post Queer Voices, he wrote a piece for HuffPo right after the the Me Too campaign kind of was starting and got reinvigorated by Alyssa Milano because we should all know that Alyssa Milano, well, I think it's admirable that she reignited the campaign. She did not start the campaign. A black woman 10 years ago started that campaign whose name I can't remember right now, but I have seen it all over social media. A black woman started the campaign. So let's let's pay homage to the fact that a that a woman of color started the Me Too campaign ten years ago. It wasn't Alyssa Milano, well I think it's great that she started the campaign in a way. I also think it's problematic that everything that she did, a black woman, a woman of color started it. Let's not forget. But shortly after that campaign was reinvigorated by Milano, um, Noah Microson wrote this piece for HuffPo about how he was sexually assaulted and sexually abused by somebody. Um, His experience with sexual assault, as I was reading the piece, I read it in its entirety, and if you go on HuffPo Queer Voices, it's, it's still up there. You should go and have a look at it. It's really powerful and really makes you think about power dynamics in queer relationships and queer sex. Um, really made me think about that a lot when I was reading it. So I decided to, to reach out to him and write, write him an email because he's been a great supporter of mine, and I wanted to let him know that I support him through what he's going through right now and all, all the feelings that he may be associated with. And so I was going to send him a quick one-line email that said, you know, I'm here for you. If you ever want to talk or anything, I'm here. And I did that, but as I wrote that line... I started thinking, I started recounting a story of my own. So I started typing, and I typed out, without even really thinking, it just sort of flew out of me. I typed out that when I was in my 20s, I hooked up with this guy off a website. It was what seemed like an innocuous hookup. And for 99% of it, that's exactly what it was. Innocuous, kind of fun, the guy was fun, We, we had... What I thought was a good time, except for this part. During our sex, he asked me if he could roll me over to fuck me. We were just kind of making out. He was on top of me, and we were making out, which I enjoy. I like I like a bit of dom subness when a guy's on top of me, and I like that a little bit, which I'm pretty sure I've talked about. I like that. So this guy was on top of me, and we were making out, and that's all great. And he said, "Can I roll you over to fuck you now?" We hadn't broached or discussed any of this as an option or any kind of fucking as an option. Anal sex was not on the table for me. Not on the table in the least for me at this point. Um, And I remember he asked repeatedly, and I stopped and said, you know, I'm not exactly comfortable with that. I said that I wasn't okay with that, and he playfully or... What I thought was playfully at the time, and not so playfully really, he playfully tried to roll me over, and roll me over from dead turtle position. And if you don't know what dead turtle position is, go back and listen to any podcast. I'm sure I talk about it at length. It's basically me on my back, unable to move. That's dead turtle position. Saying that he could just slide it in from the side. He's like, oh, I can just slide it in, and it'll feel really good, and don't worry about it. I again refused and said, no, you know, let's not do that, no, no. And while he backed off and everything was okay, it was jarring that he tried to to push me over. It was jarring that he tried to physically move me into the position without my consent. And, and at the time, it wasn't something that I really considered to be a problem. But when I started thinking about it to write this this email to Noah to let him know. When I started writing it out and seeing it in word for word, I realized how problematic it was and how how much of an issue it was for me, a severely disabled man, to have a 200-pound able-bodied man on top of me with literally nowhere to go. Also around that time, I told nobody what I was doing. I didn't give anybody any kind of any kind of heads up to, hey, Andrew's getting his dick sucked tonight, so don't maybe don't come in. I was in college and wanted, and was really felt that privacy was very important and didn't want to tell anybody and was kind of ashamed that I was having sex in this weird sort of way. So I didn't tell anybody what was happening, and so I really put myself at risk, I think. I didn't, I really was not smart about it. Um, and sending this email to no one, writing that out, I realized how close. I could have come to being raped or assaulted more readily and I, I'm it something that I have been thinking about for a few days since sending that email to Noah and realizing how how vulnerable I actually was. Another incident happened for me back in twenty Fifteen I was at a gay bar 2014 I was at a gay bar, and this guy side left to me and immediately put his hands on my crotch, saying that he just wanted to see if everything worked. He was really cute, he was really muscular he was kind of drunk with his friends and he I was there for something and I was there with somebody. We were just hanging out and um he walks up to me and drunkenly puts his hand on my on my crotch. I said in an article, I actually wrote an article about this, uh, this exact incident, and I, I joked about it, saying, like, oh, yeah, he put his hands on my legs, and I was super okay with it, and he was super hot, so it was okay. Really? He just grabbed... I said in the article that he touched my leg. Truthfully, he grabbed my genitals and squeezed and said, just want to make sure they worked. And I felt really violated but I again didn't have the I, I, it was a hot guy grabbing me I thought that's what was supposed to be happening so I didn't I didn't say anything I was like this is I guess okay because hey I'm getting felt up this is all right it wasn't okay in any way it was really a problem and I didn't say anything and it bothered me for a long time afterwards that somebody would just do that and that would be okay and there would be no discussion or, or thought of consent, and how dare you say whether my genitals just worked. So that stuff, I mean, that only happened the once, but it was like, wow. And I mean, the fact that I wrote about it in, a, in, a, in an article a couple years ago, and I, I just said the guy touched my leg, when really that happened, I think I was ashamed of it. And I think that I was also, you know, what again, the mentality and the ableism of, like, I want to be, I should be happy that the sexy guy is touching me at all is a big problem and something that I have really struggled with throughout my sexual journey and my discussions and beliefs around consent. I have another incident that happened recently, which I'll get to in a second, But I want to talk about also the importance of yes in consent. So when I say yes, what I'm saying to you, especially when I'm saying yes to an able-bodied partner, but as a disabled person, when I say yes to you, I'm saying yes to you undressing me. I'm saying yes to you seeing my body. I'm saying yes to you coming into this world you, you wouldn't normally have access to. Saying yes in consenting consenting to sex with you the, to consenting to sex with you as a disabled person is a huge privilege that you if you're non-disabled and you're having sex with me and you're able bodied and we're having sex you should realize the the type of consent that I am allowing in when I say yes to you or when any disabled person says yes to you they are they are opening themselves up to a lot of of things and there's a lot of trust that goes into these experiences, and that's a part of the consent piece around disability that I don't think anybody talks about. It isn't so much the sex. Either it's about, can will you get me back in my chair safely? Will you make sure I'm okay? Will you... Will I, like, will, will, is everything going to be all right? And one of these... And the incidents that I want to talk about... um happened to well there're two actually the the most recent one happened last week in fact and I put it on my Facebook and I' oh I'll, I'll lay it out here so I was with one of my care workers recently and I and he was giving me a shower and in the shower he was washing my genitals and during that point he said to me oh you're so gorgeous and I stopped because he literally had his hand on my genitals with the soap watching me, and he goes, oh, you're, you're gorgeous, and I just thought, well, that's weird and off-putting, and I didn't say anything, because he's in a position of power right at that moment, and I, I, I needed him to get clean and get out of the shower, so I didn't bring it up, but I thought, that's really weird, that's really uncomfortable, and I haven't even brought it up to the management yet, I'm not really sure how I'm going to broach that topic with them, but it happened, and it made me feel uncomfortable, because he was in a position of power. The last incident that I want to speak about in terms of my experience with consent happened to me, I want to say two years ago now. So I met this guy online and we storyboarded our sex and we Skyped before he came over. He was visiting from somewhere and we storyboarded and we had an hour conversation. Everything seemed good to go. He seemed nice. He seemed respectful. Everything was okay. So he comes over to my place. And we have some pretty crappy sex. It wasn't great. It wasn't the best. It was all right. It was just mediocre sex. So then at the end of the sex, he stands up and goes, where are your scissors? And I said, excuse me, what? He goes, I'm going to get your scissors for a minute. Can you hang on? And I am completely naked at this point Uh, in the dead turtle position in my bed thinking he's going to get scissors why? What for? He goes into my kitchen, and I could hear him rustling through where the scissors are. And he goes and gets my scissors, and he goes, I have to cut your sideburns because you look dirty. You don't look, you look unkempt and dirty. So he cut my sideburns for me, and then he left. And he whispers in my ear as he leaves you, you have to take better care of yourself. And I just thought, well, that's creepy and weird. But it just shows you the kind of, and I I share that story in those two stories, to show you the power dynamics that people with disabilities put themselves when they engage in sex with somebody who is either non-disabled or has more abilities than them. And so I just wanted to share those instances to let you know that these types of things happen to disabled people all the time when they try to engage in sexuality. These types of microaggressions or macroaggressions or, you know, sexual harassment and assaults happen all the time to disabled people, but we don't often get to talk about them. So I just wanted to sh- I don't really have much else to say. I just wanted to share those two, two pieces. I would recommend that if you are a disabled person engaging in sex, Uh, and you want to have a private thing, I still think you should tell somebody about it. I still think you should make a plan. We need to also talk about how disabled people can protect themselves. I want to bring this up in the next installment of this discussion when I have the panel together, because I think that'll be a great part of the discussion. So when I ever get that episode going, which will be hopefully in a few weeks, um, then we can talk about that, because I want to see how other disabled people... Deal with consent, and if you are a disabled person dealing with issues of sexual assault, rape, sexual harassment, um, consent issues, and you want to be on this panel, let me know. We can do it remotely, and I'd love to have you be a part of it. So thanks for coming out and listening to my this episode. This really tough episode to record about consent and disability. Um, and my journey as through consent and disability as a queer cripple. Thank you so much for listening. Just a brief production note, for the last ten episodes, you've listened to them every two weeks and I've decided for the last few actually it was less than that, for the last seven episodes you've listened to them every two weeks on Monday. It's gonna be sporadic now. It's gonna be every Monday either once per week or once every other week. That's kind of the schedule I'm going to go on because some of them I like so much. I want to share with—I want to share them with you immediately because they're so good. I want to share them with you once a week or once every other week, depending on the guest, depending on the topic, depending on how much I love it, all those things. So just wanted to let you know that it'll be once every week or every other week on Mondays at 5 a.m., wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. Just a brief little production note before we actually end this episode, I've decided to do the podcast on either a weekly or every other week basis, so a weekly or bi-weekly basis, so you may hear it every week, or you may hear it every other week, depending on the guest, depending on the topic, depending on how much I want you to hear it, you may hear it on that cycle, so because for the last three weeks, I think I've been doing it every every week, because I love the topic so much. Um, I'm also going to try to release the topic, the, the podcast earlier on my Patreon, so that the Patreon subscribers can get it earlier and get some bang for their buck, and some cool, cripple uh, content for their buck. So I'm going to do my best to really do that. Um, just wanted to let you know that it'll be either Every week or every other week now on Mondays at 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability. If you like what you hear and want to hear more, read my blogs or book me to bring disability to you, head over to com. Also, if you're listening to this in iTunes, Please rate and review us so more people can find the show. Copyright notice. This program was created and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crypto Content Creations. Any and all materials, including graphics, music, and audio recordings, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission.